cliffcentral.com. All right. It is time, everybody, to get our morning off to the right start. Oh, I hear lots of background noise there. It's, it's not me. Canton. It's Canton and Ryan. There's Canton and Ryan over here being, I don't know what they're doing. Being loud and obstreperous. What else do you expect from us? Especially at this time of the morning. No, that is why we have you on the show, is to be loud and obstreperous. Right. Without wasting any time, guys, the burning platform, obviously, our our chance to catch up on all the things that are going on in the news. We talk about politics. We talk about society. We talk about the economy. We talk about the world. We talk about the little things that uh, make us laugh and the things that don't, and obviously the things that affect our lives the most. So this morning, I'm thrilled to have somebody on who I met just a short while ago, in fact, probably about a month, maybe a little more than a month ago. I encountered her at a community hall in Guamashu where we were talking about uh, the, the great uh, Dr. Pixley Kaisagaseme and uh, his legacy. And this person impressed me enormously because, first of all, she was the first person I've seen in a long time who actually explained why people should vote for the ANC, which is a tall order, and she did it very well. But also because she's someone who um, – well, I was impressed by her forthrightness. So I was impressed by her ability to kind of – command the crowd and to and to stand her ground on, on various issues where there were some people who were quite hostile and there's some people who were very supportive. And I thought we've got to get this person on. First of all, it's always good to have someone representing the ANC. We had Dada Morero last year and after him, him being on the show, he became mayor of Joburg. Remember? So Yes, short, for a short period, but yes. It, this is the trend these days. This is right. the trend these days. Who knows what might happen to Non Tembeko when she joins us now? She's Non Tembeko Boyce. She's the KwaZulu Natal Legislature's Speaker. And she's actually from the Eastern Cape Pumi, which is a very interesting story. You can get it to tell you a little bit of that as well. Um, but she became a, uh, a fast and furious member of the young ANC in KwaZulu Natal. And she's taken on various roles there, which she could tell us about as well just now. But she's um, currently a member of the PEC in KZN. She served as a councillor in the Ugu District Municipality, also worked on the ANC's KZN Legislature Caucus as the manager. In 2014, she was sworn as a member of the legislature and deployed as Deputy Chief Whip of the ANC in the legislature. And in 2016, she became the Chief Whip. So following the general elections of 2019, she's been made the Speaker of that KwaZulu Natal Legislature. She's the Chairperson for the Rules and programs committees. Um, she's also the chairperson of the CPA in KZN, which is interesting too. So we'll talk about all of those things, but let me welcome her to the show. Nontembeko, it's very nice to have you on, and thank you for joining us. Good to see you. Good to see you too, Gareth. Good morning to you and uh, to the rest of the crew. Good. Pumi, Pumi and Canthan are uh, probably going to ask you lots of questions. We're always pleased when we can get someone from the ANC on. And there's lots to talk about. What I do want us to try and stay away from is all the questions that we direct at people who have particular jobs in the ANC, um, you know, like Minister of Electricity, for example. We can't direct those at you. You're not responsible for that stuff. But I'm sure you have some points of view that you'd like to raise as well. I know people tend to uh, throw everything into a bundle and then push it to the ANC. But I'm, I'm sure that there are specific questions that you'd want to answer rather than general ones, which you aren't necessarily in the right position to answer anyway. So with that said, uh, let's talk about you for a second. Um, 
How does someone from the Eastern Cape end up being the Speaker of the KZN Legislature? And tell us a little bit about your political journey. I can answer that question first. You need someone <laughs> impartial who can mediate between the various factions in KZN. I mean, <laughs> not really, not really. Stop <laughs> mansplaining her. Give her a chance. <laughs> Look, I'm no longer from the Eastern Cape. I was born in the Eastern Cape. So I then came to work in Guazulu Natal. You'd remember that once you, in the, in, in, according to the Electoral Act of South Africa, once you reside in a particular area, that's where you are eligible to vote and be a member and a resident. So since 1996, I've been residing here. I would go for holidays in the Eastern Cape, just like the case it is uh, with most migrant workers, mostly found in, in Gauteng. I then came, worked since 1996, and uh, the next elections that came of, of 1999, I was already a voter in Guazulu-Natal and an activist as a teacher in the South Coast. That's how I became a person of Guazulu-Natal, because I wouldn't have afforded to go home every time before election, a day before yeah. election, or participate in the campaign. I, I felt that because I was staying at Izingolweni, I had to participate in the ANC campaign where I was living. That's how then I became a person of Wazulu Natal and grew there as a young person. I was 20, 1996. So as I grew up there, they started to recognize me as part of the leadership, both in the ANC Youth League, in the trade union for teachers. I was a member of the South African Democratic Teachers Union, as well as the Young Communist League in the region. That's how then I ended up being at the provincial level. I started right at the branches. At that time, 1997, when we started being active, it was, I think there was only one branch of the ANC in Izungulweni, the one at Shoba Shobane where I was teaching. Uh, we started there. We built many <laughs> branches, the leadership built branches, we grew, and here we are. Well, I mean, the ANC has had an interesting journey in KZN themselves as a party. I mean, we, we you know, obviously post-94, there was a lot of tension. In fact, pre-94, there was a lot of tension there between the IFP and the ANC, and things have changed considerably. I think the biggest the biggest change to the, the, the politics of KZN was probably the election of Jacob Zuma as president. And you can you could disagree with me on this if you like, Nontebeko, uh, but I'd like to hear your point of view on it anyway. But it seems to me that that shifted the political landscape in quite a dramatic way. And although there are still things going on in KZN, which worry us, the factions that Canton's already uh, hinted at, what do you think that the main movements in politics in KZN are? The speaker, first of all, and as someone who's, who's watched it for a number of years. Yes, the, the, there was a lot of movement and transition in KwaZulu-Natal, and I want to agree uh, President Zuma played a great role in the transition, but it was a collective effort of the then leaders of KwaZulu-Natal. He did not only start when he was a president of the ANC. You'd remember that for the longest time, he was an office bearer at a national level as a deputy secretary general, but still being a, 
a provincial chairperson of the ANC because KwaZulu Natal was still going through the reconciliation period. So himself and the leaders of the time, if you count the likes of Comrade, uh, former Premier of the province, Willis Mkounu, Dr. Zuelim Kize, Dr. Ndebele, Abobaba, Usipo Tabashe, the whole lot of that generation of leadership that was leading with President Zuma when he was chairperson of the province, they they transversed a difficult period for the ANC in the province, but not only for the ANC sometimes. I say for the people of Wazulu-Natal because the, 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 the reconciliation started much behind the scenes and they brought it before us to see when there was a time that we had the, 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 the floor crossing, to see people that were staunch members and grown in the IF, uh, grow up in the IFP coming back as members of the ANC and representatives of the ANC. It was a joint effort. But I must also pay credit to the leadership of the IFP at that particular time because it took the two of them coming mm. together to embrace each other and have a common goal to see the end of violence and tensions in Wazulu-Natal. That played a lot in the legislature of Wazulu-Natal. By the way, Mpumi, before you move, there is even a book that was produced in the previous terms of the legislature, I think in the fourth term, that was saying the building of the Grand House. That was narrating how the House of Wazulu-Natal in the times of Obabuhiri Kuala was used to mediate and uh, come to where we are. But President Zuma was leading, of course, because he was the chairperson of the province. Speaking of floor crossings, are you allowed to talk to us about the ongoing conversation of whether Umdanaga Pindangene is coming back to the ANC? No, that one is going to be spoken to by the spokesperson of the ANC in the province and the provincial secretary. But of course, there's been a media briefing recently that was done post our last PEC, where we were acknowledging the, as the PEC, we acknowledged what is being done at a national level. And as a province, I stand to say, we support it. We support the national leadership in trying to move us together so that is able to get his wishes fulfilled, but also to totally heal the past. We agree where we agree. And if he becomes back to the black, green and gold, where he came from as a member, he's a young lion. He grew up in the ANC Youth League. That is a discussion, but that is for the ANC. Is is that though? Is is it is it a another move to uh, bring back into the ANC the numbers that it is losing? Are you hoping that that is going to be a precursor to some kind of a coalition with the IFP, or maybe even move people who are voting for the IFP to come and vote for the ANC? If it was started now, after the twenty twenty one elections, I would I would think you are granted to think that way, boom. But having been in the, even in the PEC from 2015, I know that it's an old discussion. And yourself, you have heard it. People in the ILC have heard it even way before. I think even way before the 2014 uh, national elections. It has been a talk that has been there. At that time, the ANC was not going down. So we started at a provincial level going down in the 2019 and then 
and and the 2016 local government elections, but that talk has been old. And I want to say, it has nothing to do with the fortunes of any of the two parties, but everything to do about reconciliation and building a better KwaZulu-Natal. Okay, but let's go there then, because is KwaZulu-Natal demonstrably better in any way right now than it has been before? I mean, we've got sweet details. out here under Papa says... <laughs> <laughs> just hold, hold on, K. <laughs> just hold on, Kathy. Because Sweet Pea says, I live in KZN. It is a disaster. Literally sewage running down the streets, constantly no water, filthy streets, uh, thuggery on the promenade, assassinations rife. It is a disaster. So, you guys in politics, you talk about this stuff and you sit in the legislature and you have to make decisions about these things. But do you think people's lives have got better in KZN? We had those terrible riots just a couple of months ago. We've had natural disasters. It's been a really, really difficult time for people who have lived in that province all of their lives. And I don't think they could say with a straight face that their lives feel like they're improving. No, the lives of people in Guazulu-Natal have improved greatly for the majority of the people of Guazulu-Natal. But does that mean that there are no challenges? That would be a lie. There are challenges. There are challenges in service delivery. I, I take it, I've seen that uh, the Sweet Pea is speaking about the promenade. So I think he's a person who's living in the metro in Etewini because that's where you have the promenade. Tina in Uku, we don't have such. But even in Uku, there are challenges there, especially when it comes to the issue of water. And There's even on the other days. in South Broome for two weeks. Hello? In South Broome, they've had no water for almost two two weeks. I am going to respond to you on the Uku issues of water. It's not only in South Broome that there's been no water. There's been no water for three weeks in a row in Kamalake, in so Machisim, so in, in, in Hadi. Now, what, what were the issues there? When we became councillors in 2011, there were issues of the infrastructure that was aging. But whilst we were still having the issues of the aging infrastructure in Uku, there came a time, I hope Mbume you heard about the time that there was sabotage in the infrastructure of Uku, where there were people bursting uh, pipes and <laughs> uh, going to the plants to, to burn the plants. There was that time. That is a reality that happened in Uku. Now, I won't go to the detail. What have been done in Uku? Last year in November, if you would remember, the National Council of Province wanted to come to KwaZulu-Natal and we said as a provincial legislature, we will take them to Uku, where we brought in the Minister of Water and Sanitation. Minister Mtunu was in, in, in Pochatstin at Gamalake. What then followed was a change in terms of the water infrastructure that is there. When we met this week in the, in the, in the water and sanitation summit of the district, they, they, they get that gathering, they call it that way. They had moved from where they are because now they are able to attend to the infrastructural issues because there are grants that have been unlocked from national. There are also issues of areas like deep rural Harding. I will speak about Harding because my constituency is also in Harding. In Ward 8, there are areas where there is no water, but where you find that you can't even send a truck because 
it's two or three households behind a mountain and there's no river there. I mean, there's no road there. Now they are also introducing with the new funding the issue of water tanks, I mean, of, of, of boreholes that will be made to be available as a temporary measure. So those are the strides to deal with water. But I am sure that the water and sanitation minister, when you call him, uh, I am sure my Kungwane would explain deeply because <laughs> I am from the legislative no, but side. I, I, but go okay. to Etewini. Go it's to going Etewini. to be, you know, it's going okay. to be easy to, to, to have it drilled down into this particular municipality, this particular thing. But what we're not having a conversation about is the fact that a lot of these, uh, of the things that you speak about, for instance, if we use the, the, the infrastructure sabotage, as you call it, is there is a failing of a national government in that there is no policing, there's no security of all of that infrastructure, and that has then drilled down into a district level. And at national government, we have an ANC government. At local government, at, at, at provincial government, we have an ANC government. In some of those municipalities, we have an ANC government and all those three structures are not talking to each other they are not assisting each other it may be that you're talking to us about 12 years since 2011 to today in the Ugu district right but what you're also talking about is that for 30 years guys for 30 years there has been opportunity to change all of the things that you are talking about all of the challenges people with no streets people with no boreholes people with no and we haven't seen that we haven't seen that on the mass scale that would have substantively made everybody's life better. I think, Pumi, when we want to be fair, you will first have to go and check the water connections that have happened in KwaZulu-Natal. You don't even have to go back to since 1994 or since 2004 because the ANC took over KwaZulu-Natal since 2004. There is a manifesto handbook of the ANC that will assist you of 2019 because it was tabulating the water connections. There are areas in Wazulu Natal that did not have water when the ANC took over in 2004. Those areas have water connections. The areas that you're speaking about of water that was sabotaged, the infrastructure, you know, a criminal is not like you and me and Gareth and Kenther, they won't go to the public space. Where there were water sabotages, it was in the private spaces where it was in the middle of farm owned by personal, I mean, by private individuals. Now, that is not a scapegoat. What is important is what has been done. We have said that those issues are being attended to. But go through to Umzinyati district. Umzinyati district is in the north. There are issues of water that have been there forever in that particular district, Gareth. Since 19 and it has been governed by one party. It, it has been governed by one party and then there was a coalition in a particular but- time when it got governed by the ANC. Because of the topography in that particular area, people of Umsinga, even today, are still having the water issues. Now, does that mean that there is no new people in Umzinyati that have gotten water? It's not true. They do have. That is why I say, generally, the state of KwaZulu-Natal has changed since democracy. 
it might not have changed where I stay because where I was staying, me and Bumi, we might have been staying in South Broome or we have been staying in Gamalake where there has been water before. But with the more people joining in the system, of course, there would be witnesses. That is what we are going through. And we must attend to that. You know, Gareth, Gareth, one of the the things that, you know, in in the scenario that we've got where, you know, we've got Madam Speaker as a guest on our show, and it would be rude for me to kind of bludgeon her into submission with, you know, the, the myriad range of problems that are fundamentally contradicted by all of the gobbledygook that she has been spouting. My parents live in Reservoir Hills. It's called Reservoir Hills for a very good reason. This is in Durban. It's called Reservoir Hills because at the top of the hill, there's a reservoir, which provides most of the water for the greater Itekweni municipality. They are literally less than a kilometer from the actual reservoir, and the pipes from the reservoir have not been maintained. So the level of gobbledygook that is coming out here right now, when there has been a fundamental failure to actually fix the basics of infrastructure, this has nothing to do with formerly privileged areas now complaining about the fact that water has been rolled out to the masses. Water needs to be rolled out to the masses. But the fact of the matter is that Itekweni is the economic hub of the province. It is also one of the economic hubs of the entire nation because Itekweni and Cape Town historically roughly have approximately the same uh, uh, gross domestic product. Now, with Itekweni not being able to provide the basics, even though it has an advantage at a number of other levels. For example, it doesn't get load shed as badly as the rest of the country does. Again, because this is a throwback to the fact that they suffered under the floods. Mm-hmm. But I was in, uh, in Durban for a period over the, the past couple of weeks. I was driving around. The place is a shithole. I cannot say it any differently. This is the town that I was born in. Under, under apartheid. This is the town where I grew up in. This is the town where under an ANC government during the Mandela era was considered to be the best run municipality in all of Africa. And what has happened since then? It has been looted. It has been pillaged. We, under the ANC municipality, uh, under the ANC during the Mandela era, it had the best public transport system in the country. That public transport system was then sold off to an ANC crony who then looted and pillaged it. It was then bought back by the municipality at a massively inflated price tag. And it no longer functions at the level that it used to function. I used to be able to hop onto those minor buses from the town and travel to all. Pumi, I think you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Okay, the city actually, I mean, it hosted the A1 Grand Prix. This place now is it's heartbreaking and what do we get the ANC manifesto says this no it's unacceptable but maybe this is the opportunity um, to, to tell us why you believe that people should still be voting for the ANC given all of the heartbreak all of the disappointment all of all of that why do you believe that people should still believe in your party I will start with Kenzin because uh, when I was going to Etiwini, I was stopped and I thought that uh, you don't want to hear about Etiwini. Uh, firstly, Kenzin, I think that 
you say I, I speak about privileged areas. I, I always avoid using that name. I know, uh, but that's why I it's brought not it for up. Political the subtext, the subtext it's not of for what political reasons. There. It's not for political reasons for me. Because I know that when you think someone is privileged on one aspect in life, there is an aspect in the life of that individual where that individual is <laughs> underprivileged. You spoke about Reservoir Hills and spoke about privileged areas. Now you are forcing me to compare Reservoir Hills to what is happening now in what 96, for instance, of in, in Umbumbu. When you look at the connections and the number of people that have entered the system, but also you want us to forget that Mayor Kaunda, when he came in as a mayor and recently spoke about the problems of Etewini and told us post the coalition what they intend to do to correct those difficulties they are faced with. You want us to forget that even the ANC in the province, even when it was a in the previous term of the PEC, and the current provincial secretary, had spoken about the interventions. You want us to even forget that the ANC saw that what is happening in Etewini in terms of service delivery needs assistance because, not only because of what you are saying that you are supporting, what was putting, but because we understand that the majority of the people of the province are residing in Etewini. I think that it's about 38% or so, around 40% people of KwaZulu-Natal that reside in one area, which is Etewini. Now, when you look at that, the ANC had not neglected, nor did what you are alleging, my brother. But solutions may come Oh, no, 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 tell me, which part of what I said was was, uh, not factually correct? Just tell I me let's finish. Yeah. I, you know, listen to what I say, even if you don't like it. I will listen to what you no, say because we no, all I have just to say it. You, you said that what I said was wrong. Just tell me one thing that I was wrong. Saying, just only one thing. Hmm. I am saying to you, what you are saying that the ANC is not doing anything. We are doing things. That is why Dr. Keshia Slumisi has been sent here to lead the intervention administratively in Etewin. When you go through Section 139 of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa, you will understand that interventions in municipalities are done by the Executive Council. That is why they are sending that team that have specialists, including Dr. Sakif, to come and do the intervention because we realize when you do not realize that there's something that is not right, you will not do interventions. So on that, on that score, don't think that we are not seeing. And we have said there are challenges in Etewini. Mayor Kaunda has outlined the challenges. As okay. a person who is having a responsibility in the legislative side, if there was no intervention from government, that's when we're going to have an issue. Now they have intervened. Now coming to you, Mbume, why do, do I think that Mbume, starting with Mbume, don't speak about people out yeah. there, Mbume, Gareth, and Kenthin, still can go and vote for the ANC? 
I want you first to understand that the issue of deciding who to vote for from the side that I represent as a legislator is an issue of your right. You can choose to vote for who you vote for. But Mm -hmm. when I say to people, go and vote for the ANC, I say go vote for the ANC because for me, that is the party in the Republic of South Africa that I've seen so far having changed the life of many people. There are difficulties, of course. We were told about difficulties even before we came into power that there would be difficulties. I have seen it self-correct in areas when it was not doing fine. Currently, the ANC even said to itself, it is going to go through the process of renewal. Because amongst us, firstly, as deployees of the ANC in government, there are some of us, it may be not Denver, who are not necessarily doing what they should be doing in terms of the manifesto. Because the manifesto is what we must strive to do, is the contract between the ANC and the electorate. I think that the ANC will continue to be a self-correcting organization, but will deliver. In areas where it is having issues, it will have interventions to correct the issues and bring itself back to cause. But I believe also the ANC is where I stand, one organization that believes in what President Mandela gave us in 1994 a government that is an open government. When he was speaking about the ability of public participation and having feedback, he said we must build a different government that is open and is allowing the input for citizens. So it's amongst those areas that I believe we have to vote for the ANC. Now, coming to service delivery and changing the lives of the people, having the ANC pushed back. Mm -hmm. Have we had the citizens since 1994? I believe that it has done. When you go to look to the access into public education, the access to public education, especially post-metric, it has increased. But what has been lacking and what continues to lack is the issue of driving universities and higher education institutions to respond to the needs of the economy. The needs of the economy. You want we to, have, when you we want have to talk 800,000 oh. unemployed graduates in this country. 800,000 access to education with no jobs for them. So, no, but even before we talk about access to education, according to Stats SA, let's talk about Peter Maritzburg, just in the Peter Maritzburg area. Only 33% of kids who start school finish school. So what, 33% of kids who start school what then is finish given school. As a that, and here, and and Pumi, what then is given as a reason? Because we must, we must go down to the reasons that are given by State SA. What is given as the reason? Because that report, we have it. What is given as a reason for the rest? What is accounted for for those that do not go through to grade 12 women? What is it? The, what is it? You tell us. Because only 2%, because no, 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 only 2% of those people end up Hold in on. higher education.
education. 53% and only 2% end up in education. Uh, Nontebeko, I'm going to ask you to answer that because you brought up how education is important, tertiary education. Gareth, I need to make a point around this tertiary education thing. Just yesterday, Now, now can I write your question down? Can I write Gomez's question down? Can I write Gomez's question and yours, Gareth? Yes. Can I write Mpume, what was your question, my sister? Once you know why... 3% 3% of people in Peter Maritzburg, which is the capital of that province, it's where you sit in the legislature. Why do yes. only 33% of the people finish school? I thought Mpume, who is bringing up the statistics of State SA, is going to say that. Unaccounted for on those people of the 33% are the people that live before metric and go to Tivet colleges. I thought Mpume is going to finish that. Unaccounted for are those who go to Tivet colleges. They are not accounted for. Go to State and see whether they are accounted for. They are not accounted for, the percentage there. That is why when State SA came and presented to us on the 17th of February, we said, account for them. Because when you don't account for those who have gone to Tivet colleges prior to finishing metric, we are all not going to understand what is happening. Account for attrition. We want them to account for attrition because the yes, general. Right. What, what do you? What does that even mean? Are you saying? Are you saying you don't know? How would I know if Statesa does not say it? Because right. Mpume is acting as if he knows right. that they. Because all the have ANC runs the National Department of Basic Education, so within the ANC. Uh, Nontembeko doesn't know, so let's move on to Canton's question. Uh, because yeah, the question is, report yesterday, KZN Education Department to close more than 900 schools by 2028. This is in IOL yesterday. KwaZulu-Natal's Department of Education plans to shut 255 small and non-viable schools, 70 high schools, 185 primary schools during this financial year, 2023-2024 and a further 967 schools by 2028. This is increasing access to education. I'm glad that they are actually now implementing the transformation of the schooling system. There is a policy in the Department of Education that is a transformation of the schooling system. (laughs) The transformation of the schooling system, Kenthin, starts from the fact that for a school to be called a primary school in the Republic of South Africa has to have a minimum number of learners and in a high school has to have a minimum number of learners. There are schools in the province that we have found as the legislature that since 2017, they have had not less than the 150 that is required in in, in some cases. They have even had less than 20 learners. And those schools are now multi-grading. When a school multi-grades, it means that a teacher teaches more than one grade. If you want to get quality education, I am a product of multi-grading. I know the problems and the difficulties of that, and I've taught in a multi-grade. You are unable to give specific attention to the curriculum of that particular grade. At the beginning of the year, we do school functionality. I will make an example of a school we went to in Kosazana in, in King Drive. The school has got about uh, 60-something learners, but the teachers that are in that school are eight, so to say around eight. 
But when you come to the allocation of resources, the ratio of the learner to teacher is not allowing them to have so many. They should be having two. And if you have two, you can't have two teachers teaching from grade Arab to grade seven. Now, it means that there is a disproportionate distribution of resources that have been invested in that area. Whilst the department has a policy that says, take these learners to the nearest school that is having enrollment and provide learner transportation. When they implement the closing of dysfunctional schools, because dysfunctional schools are schools without enrollment. It's not schools that are not governed well. The principals are very well behaving. But when some parents like Mpumi and me decides to take our learners, transport them from Ramsgate where we stay and, 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 and South Brook, transport them to Port in town and leave the schools along the road because we're allowed to do that leave the schools along the road, there is Margate Primary and other schools. When that school starts having lower enrollment, that school will reach a level where it becomes dysfunctional. That is what is a dysfunctional school. Unless you are saying that we must leave the government or the department to employ seven teachers for seven learners, as long as they are in grade one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And that will be a disproportionate distribution of resources because each teacher has to have an equal number, which is given by the PPN of number of learners to be in a class. But we also have unemployed teachers. Employ those teachers. Employ those teachers and deploy them. When you are employing teachers that do not have the number, I think that <laughs> let's be realistic. Let's be realistic. You can't say when you have tellers. I'm, 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 I'm taking you to a shop. You have a business. You have tellers who come and look for jobs. In a shop that does not serve, for instance, 100 people. And you say that you're going to employ 50 tellers. Who are they going to ring the, t- the tellers for? Teachers have a law, a law that is saying it is one is to 30 learners. You teach 30 learners in a class. So for one learner, no, we may be reasonable. So Please, maybe the teachers need to teach 15 learners so that they can give the attention that you spoke about before. But it okay, is done so we, in special the, schools. Special schools. Learners, for special, learners with special right. needs. They the have answer different is clear. In other words, no, 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 I cannot allow you to, to, to vacantly say we must do illegal things. Let so we're the citizens, that so we the citizens who feel so you are saying you are a lawmaker, but you cannot allow us, the citizens, who feel that what we have is not adequate, to say it is not adequate and you must be alive to that. That's what you are saying. They have been called. What you don't know, the process of closing a school, I think you don't know. You read the headline from Kenthi. The process of closing a school is not the MEC standing up and say, I'm closing this school. There is public consultation you get given. They were given from 2017 to bring back your kids. Don't take your kids to the school in another township. Bring back your kids to this particular school. 
And they still, parents, gave birth. Imagine, children that were born in 2018 are in school. They are not taking them to those schools, taking them to other schools. So what do you think, Masave? The reason teachers are staying at home, not working, it's because there's this disproportionate. And I, I am glad as a fellow teacher that those who are graduate teachers and staying at home, they know that for as long as there are resources that are wasted right. and not used properly, they will not get let's, employment. They have to be employed. Let, yes, Karen. Let's. I, I want to give you a chance to to plead the case. Like you, you know, you were asked by Pumi earlier, why should people vote? But give me an idea of the vision. You guys get together whether it's the ANC or whether it's the legislature in total, right? And you have to plan what kind of a province you want KwaZulu-Natal to be in the future. What is the best outcome? How would you love to see KwaZulu-Natal flourish in the next couple of years? And what would you like to see done that, that, that you, you may be empowered to do, that other people might need to help you be able to do? But what would you like the vision of what a, a KwaZulu-Natal of five years from now should look like? Is there any discussion around that? Do you have an idea in your head? What would that be? Sell it to us because I want to be fair here. I don't want us to just pile on about schools and then about sewage and then about crime and then about the economic uh, destruction and all the rest of it. What kind of KZN do you want to see? Uh, thank you. Thank you about that, Gareth. The kind of KZN that I, when I sleep, I see is a KZN that uh, continues uh, to build itself, rebuild itself, mostly starting with uh, revitalizing the manufacturing uh, capacity of the province. I, I hope uh, Kenneth and Mpume understand that I'm saying revitalize because I know that uh, most of the exploits of KZN before was through the manufacturing that was in Isitebe area. You go to Umnambiti area, you go to around Newcastle but also the Mabek and also around Tequini Jacobs and, and those areas. Uh, I think if, if the ANC through the economic development uh, uh, department can revitalize the, 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 the manufacturing ability. So how that will, how will the ANC do that? Tell us how the ANC will do that. Not through, don't, the problem, don't just the problem the Karen, is plan. that you ask me to respond something first. In the middle of that, I must divert. And because Kenthin laughs, I don't even know whether to respond to him or not. I, I don't know. Very odd you know, responding if I, if, to if the I don't have lights at my home, I will, right. uh, I will say to connect batteries and fix it. Let's answer Garrett's question. You want to see okay. you want to see manufacturing improving. Revitalize manufacturing. Uh, places like improve, back improve they... the issues. Improve the issues of security in Wazulu Natal, especially what we speak about uh, the, the the capacity of our police stations. We have started work in that area, Gareth, because the province have decided while still waiting for, for national, because policing is at a national level, the government of the province have started investing through the yep. community safety in, 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 in a project that will come in the next financial year of, of not only having security by hiring only police, but also having Cameras. When you used to work in the city center of Etequini or in Port Shepstein CBD, 
they, they used to be cameras that belonged to municipalities and stuff like that. Now we want them to bring back those that will belong to the SAPS. I dream of that KwaZulu-Natal, but also the type of KwaZulu-Natal that I think will help is using to, to, to our benefit agriculture. There is a lot of arable land in KwaZulu-Natal, and many people who own the land they have started to rather be swayed by fast and easy money by selling the land to the likes of Nondembego and Gareth who might be, buy, be buying sites to build. Probably if there is an education, which I believe oh, the current MEC Zuma has started, re-education of the people that are having the, the, the land on the importance and responsibility they have, not only to the land, I mean, to the people in their areas, but to the general population of KwaZulu-Natal to build food security and creation of jobs. I think that then if we get it right, firstly, in those, it would be easy to revitalize the economy of KwaZulu-Natal. My, that's my dream. It will rest in agriculture and manufacturing, but attend to crime. All right, I now, have a question uh, on that. I have a question well, I, on I just, that. I, sorry, I just want to give Canton a chance now because he did ask, you know, how does, how do, how do legislators like Nontembeko think that the economy will grow uh, when obviously we have major, major challenges in that respect too? So Canton, complete your question. And even if you don't answer this, if you don't have an answer for it, Nontembeko, at least for those people who are thinking the same thing, they'll, they'll be heard. Canton, what did you want to say about how it happens? Yeah, my, my question is that, you know, we can talk about calling in the Minister of Economic Development to come in with a plan. Mm-hmm. I just want to know a single line item in this plan that has actually been assessed where you're able to say, for example, I've written in the past, one of the major issues that the Itekweni municipality has is that there are only four bridges that cross the Amgeni River. So the entire city is in gridlock for the entire day because all of the traffic that has to move from the business district of Mshlanga through to the CBD has to cross those four bridges. Those four bridges are uh, the beachfront uh, Ellis Brown Viaduct, it's uh, the Athlon Bridge, it's the Connaught Bridge, and it's the N2. Those are the only four bridges that go across the river. None of those are all of those are Partedira bridges, yes. And the single thing that could be done in Intequeni right now that could immediately transform the city is to build additional bridges across the river to allow for the flow of traffic and goods and people from the commercial district of Mshlanga through to the CBD and to the ports and so forth. So that is a very specific example where one can say, put in a bridge, it's going to allow for the free movement of goods that's going to do uh, generate X number of jobs immediately as a direct result of that. What I hear coming from you, Nontebeko, very simply is we are going to wait for the Ministry of Economic Development to give us a plan. And I'm saying I want to have a plan that actually has line items. And those line items have to say, if we spend the following amount of money on doing this particular thing, what is going to result from that is the ability of businesses to thrive and therefore, there is going to be an additional injection of money into the economy. For example, again, one of the projects that was supposed to have been happened, it was tabled 
close on 20 years ago by the ANC was the idea of a high-speed rail link that was supposed to happen between uh, Kingshaka International Airport and Peter Maritzburg. That project was approved. The, the budget was passed. It never happened. Why did it never happen? That in of itself could have transformed the economy of the entire region simply because of the fact that you've got the Dubai trade port that's right next to King Shaka and the ability to then move goods rapidly from the, uh, the hinterland through to the Dubai trade port and from there to be able to ship uh, uh, air freighted to the rest of the world. Those are very specific examples. Instead, all I'm hearing is we are waiting for the Ministry of Economic Development. You have all of these things that have already been approved. They have not been acted upon. Why? Firstly, I think, Kenzin, you and I hear things differently. I spoke about the department in the province on the outrolling of the, of the, of the plan. You're speaking about the ministry. Uh, you're speaking about national. I think it's your problem. Why am I saying the department? Yes, I'm speaking about the department. Why am I saying I'm speaking about the department? It's because, Gareth, uh, last month in April, uh, on the 18th of April, to be specific, MEC Duma came to the legislature of Wazulu Natal to table his budget speech for the current financial year. Those matters that I'm speaking about that I dream of were part of the budget speech. Already, as we are speaking with you, MEC Duma has been going through districts. That is what the government is doing in the province because the you, you're not going to sit here and say, I dream like this and it happens. What you have to do is understanding district per district, how does it play its role here? That's what the government, the department is doing. The legislature through the portfolio committees, there are two portfolio committees that are responsible <coughs> for the economic development. It's the environmental uh, uh, affairs and conservation and also the economic development portfolio committees are going to be meeting with the MEC at the end of this first quarter because we are in the first quarter now of, of end of the first quarter of, of the financial year where they are going to be finding out how much progress is made. Of course, I may not have said the Department of Transport have to build roads. But I thought that we all understand you need a road infrastructure network. That is why currently the Department of Transport is building a bridge that connects in the south, in the south of KwaZulu Natal, three municipalities. It is connecting Rengonyenu, Umzumbe, and Umuzuabantu. Those three municipalities in the area that they are getting connected, it's where firstly there is farmlands in the south, in the, in those areas of the, of the, of the bridge. And people have had to, when they want to transport their own, uh, harvest, had to go via the main old road that goes past Harding, go to Port Shepstein and stuff. Now they no longer have to go via Isandombe and come to Port Shepstein. Right. When that uh, bridge is finished, they will not, finish. Not, they will come to that. In the interest of time, I'm sorry, because you are giving us specific examples now, but it, 
These are slim people. Giving me specifics of Etewini. I want to give you specifics in the province. That's what I'm doing. Something gave you of Etewini. So can't I give you Etewini? Well, you've just given us one now. We have have 11 districts here. All right. And you're telling me there are more? That's fine. I take your word for it. But for me, before we go, because we've only got four minutes left, so I don't want to waste this opportunity. Um, Pumi, what did you want to ask? Because I cut you off just now. I wanted to ask about people. If you believe you have the people who can deliver on these visions, you know, what we're also seeing, and yesterday I read an, a, a very interesting uh, report by Global Initiative about the rise of political killings again in South Africa, and most of them concentrated in KZN. You know, you have, and, and being in the PEC, you probably have a, a more global view of the number of individuals who have been targeted, who have been killed, and we see it. You know, we also see it in our news. You have a councillor in Eteguini who is currently um, in prison awaiting trial for killing his predecessor. That says to me that you have people within your organization who are not safe from each other, who cannot trust each other, who are fighting each other, Whether it is for positions or whether it is for beliefs, I do not know. You probably have a better view. But do you believe that those people are able to deliver all of these wonderful things that sit in your your manifestos and in your planning if they themselves within your organization, you cannot work together? I firstly will not comment on what you are drawing me in into the issue of people waiting a trial on, on, on certain dates. Definitely will not comment. But do I believe that the people that are in the positions in the ANC will be able to deliver? Yes, I believe so. Why do I believe so? It's because the ANC is, is, is unlike the show we are in. Where Mbume will think her own thing and want it to be done, can then ask about his own area, because the ANC is, is, is centralizing planning. Now, when there is a plan that is generally agreed upon, they then look who's better suited for that, and then they allow that person to go and execute that. So I believe in the ability of the ANC. But aren't we having issues of people who are getting in positions and don't deliver? We do have that. And I alluded to it earlier when I was saying, why vote for the ANC? The ANC will be able to renew itself and remove those that they feel that are not delivering or responding to what is needed to be done at the particular time. That's why I believe that the ANC will continue to not only bring hope, but to actually exercise what it is promising to the people. But it will not be at the same speed. It will be not at the same time. Of course, it will not be addressing the issues in the exact area where you want it to address at that particular time, because the ANC is leading the society. We have to address issues across All right. the I, area I, that I, we are in. I hope that that uh, nobody here feels hard done by because I think we we wanted to have you on Nontembekwa and to have, give you a chance to speak and to give you a chance to plead the case for the ANC in KwaZulu Natal. Which I mean, you know, despite all the misgivings that the people who think we're too nice to you and the people who think that we weren't uh, nice enough are going to have, um, it's good to have someone from the ANC on because, as I said at the beginning, it's very rare that the ANC even stands and talks on platforms like this because very often they just accept that people are going to vote for them anyway 
You've come on here. You've explained what you think the ANC is doing right, especially in KwaZulu-Natal. Pumi and Canton, you've, you've had a fair go of this. I know we could have carried on for another hour, but unfortunately, we're out of time. Any closing remarks, uh, Nondembako, before we let you go? And, and then Canton and Pumi. No, uh, uh, my closing remarks is firstly to thank you, uh, Gareth, for uh, giving us this platform. And uh, there's nobody who can say they are hard done because you go to an interview. It's not like you are visiting your uncle's uh, homestead. Uh, the, you are not my uncles. You have a responsibility to give yes. things out there to the people of South Africa so that they make informed choices. This is your work. This is what the ANC stands for. The ability to speak your mind and allow people to be informed. You've done that. But I want to say to the people of South Africa, the African National Congress, from where I'm standing, is still the party to vote for come 2024 general elections. Thank you for the opportunity. But you did not ask us about the work of the legislature. You kept concentrating on the ANC. I asked you to ask us about what we are doing as a legislature in terms of the mandate. Bye-bye. You know what what we'll do? We'll have to get, we'll we'll just have to have you back. uh, You'll have to go to Buya, Sisi. Buya again. Buya. (laughs) Now we have programs in the legislature of Fazulu Natal. We have to make people understand what is the work of the legislative arm of government. Because people confuse us with the executive as if we have to go and build roads. No offense meant, Kenzie. As if the legislative arm has to go and build roads. As if we have to go and build schools. We are the lawmakers. We do oversight. We do public participation. I loved your program. Right. Thank you very much, Nandembeko. Uh, Kanthan, Pumi, you've got next week and, and maybe some weeks in the future that we can tackle some more of these things and hopefully we'll have more people from the ANC like Nandembeko back on. In the meantime, I'm afraid that's all. So if you're angry because you didn't get the answers you wanted, you'll have to just join us next Thursday for another episode. And if you're satisfied, then send us an email and we'll pop them we'll into Nandembeko as well. All right. Thank you. Have a, have a happy Thursday.